where we're going tonight. We're going to talk about prepared environments. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to take a look at this thing called worry. And somehow, I hope by the time we're all, we're all done, we're going to tie it all together. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 27 as a launching point tonight. We'll read it here at the beginning and, and uh, mention it a little bit later on. But I, let's go ahead and check this out. It says, Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals, and that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27, So God created human beings in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them so genesis chapter one god created heavens then earth god said let there be light and he separated the light from the darkness god created sky to separate the heavens from the water. In the King James, it calls it a firmament. And I always wondered what that was. But there you go. A firmament is a sky. Now you know. God created dry ground. God created vegetation on the dry ground. God created the sun and the moon. God put fish in the water. God put birds in the sky. And then God made every sort of animal that goes along the ground. And then God made man. And then God made woman. And God said, this is all good. It's all good. God created sky first, and birds he created later. God created dry ground first, and animals he created later. God created water and seas first, and fish he created later. God designed God planned and God made all of creation, sky and birds, seas and fish, land and animals first. Then man and woman came last. And I'm taking a little bit of time here because I want you to see how God sets the stage first. He created the right environment first. Then God filled that right environment with the creation that could live and prosper there. And there's a pattern here in Scripture, and it starts in Genesis, that God will often create a need and then fill that need with something from himself. And in this case, God created the right environment. God filled that right environment with the creation that could live and prosper there. So Following this pattern, there was a void. God filled that void with the earth he created. God created a sky, and then God filled that sky with birds. God created oceans and filled them with fish. God created land and put plants and animals on that land. That's, that's pretty cool. Everybody say that. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. But there's another pattern here in Genesis chapter 1, and God's giving us a little bit of insight into how he works sometimes. And that pattern is this, that God 
prepares the right environment, then places the right thing in the right place so that it all works according to His plan. God prepares our environments. Anybody remember, it's probably been, oh, I don't know, Brother Merrill, at least three years ago, Pastor Murphy preached a sermon called A Prepared Place. Anybody remember that? I, I can remember him standing right, right over here. The platform was different back then. And he told this story about this poor, dumb, bedraggled donkey that went off into the briar patch somewhere and died and decomposed. Also, that Samson could come along years later and find this jawbone and use it to defeat the Philistines. It's a cool sermon. Now, that jawbone was there for Samson whenever he needed something. Now, I don't know about you, but the jawbone's not exactly what I would consider an ideal weapon. I mean, it's not what I would have picked if given the choice. You know, it's not a machine gun. It's not a tank. It's not a lightsaber. Hallelujah, amen. No, it's the jawbone of a donkey. Now, it's not even the jawbone of a shark, man, or, or a lion or an elephant, something with lots of big teeth or something big that you could use as a club. Now, it's just a dumb old donkey's jawbone. But watch this, though. It was something that fit into Samson's environment that day. The shark jawbone is not going to fit in, in his environment. The elephant jawbone is not going to fit. God put something in his environment for him to use, but it fit in his environment. Now, by human logic, or by Jason logic, which is a little bit different from human logic, it could have been better. But God didn't give Samson what made sense to human reasoning. God gave Samson what he needed, and it was something that came from his prepared environment, a, an environment that God had prepared for him. God creates an environment where his creation can live and prosper, where we can fulfill our designed purposes, where we can live as he designed us to live, where we can do the work that he has for us to do, and to do so through the workings of the environment around us. I, I don't know if y'all see how cool this is, but this, this is what fascinates me about this. That God looks down through time and sets the workings of this vast universe into motion so that a prepared place, a prepared environment will be waiting on every single one of us to step into. A place, an environment that is suited to your God-designed purpose. And you, you're living in that prepared environment today. You walked through that prepared environment all this past week. Believe it or not, whether you recognized it or not, you've been walking through an environment, even today, even yesterday, that was prepared, organized, orchestrated, and anointed by the Almighty God specifically for you, His child. 
in your family. And God did all of that on purpose. The environment that you're in, I'm going to hammer on this a little bit. The environment that you're in right now, where you, where you are walking in life right now, the people around you as you go through your day right now, the needs that you are coming into contact with right now, God has uniquely positioned you here so that He can use you, so that He can develop you, and because He is absolutely fascinated by you, so that He can watch you do what He has designed you to do. It's an amazing thing. Well, Jason, if all of that's true, then why is my life such a struggle right now? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of pipe dream you're living in, but I've got some mess going on in my life, and it doesn't look anything like all this prepared environment stuff that you're talking about. I mean, you make it sound like all of this stuff is just like some big Jesus blueprint and it all works without a hitch. But I'm telling you, I walked in here tonight and I've got a hot mess of a life right now. I, I'm hurting. I'm tired. I'm at my wit's end. And all that prepared environment stuff doesn't really sound like what I've got going on. And that's fair. It's absolutely fair. So let's go ahead and acknowledge the elephant in the room. Y'all ready? Sometimes our prepared environments are exhausting and unpleasant. Sometimes, if we are completely honest, we're even just a little bit mad at God about our environment. We're not happy with where the path is taking us. We're not happy with the steps that we've had to take recently. We're not happy with the people that we're coming into contact with and how they're treating us. We get depressed about who and what surrounds us on a daily basis. We don't particularly enjoy the steps of the process. And you think... Sometimes I have a habit of being too transparent. You think, okay, either I messed up or God missed it. Because somebody had to have done something wrong here because my environment stinks. I see a few nodding heads out there. And that's real. It, that, that's real. Come on, somebody. Y'all know sometimes you look at what's going on around you in your life and you say, ain't no way this is God. No way Jesus had a hand in this debacle. Because it's a mess. And it's unpleasant. And it's uncomfortable. I've got to think that that's how Joseph felt at times. Now, we, most of us, I would say, we know his story. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into this dry pit, he's sold into Egyptian slavery, gets falsely accused by his boss's wife, thrown into prison, he gets forgotten about and left there, some scholars say for as long as 10 or 12 years. 
Joseph experienced some nasty environments, dry places, isolated, confining, lonely. Kind of like what some of you came in here with tonight. Feeling dry, cut off, isolated, lonely. Joseph came into contact with people who betrayed him, forgot about him, abused him, lied on him. But more than that, and this is the kicker for me, as far as Scripture goes, Joseph apparently was doing everything right. He wasn't going through all of this stuff because of some kind of sin problem. God ordered Joseph's steps. And those steps took, somebody's got to get a handle on this tonight, those steps that God ordered took Joseph into environments, prepared environments that tested him down to the very core of his being. It exposed his character. Joseph's environments were challenging. They were stressful. They were hurtful. They were exhausting. They were uncomfortable. He came into contact with people who were dishonest, unreliable, and even malicious. You know, even after his final promotion, right, the happy ending at the end of the story, he's he's appointed second in command over all of Egypt. Pharaoh says, you know, you're you're, you're right under me, and nobody's going to lift a foot, lift a finger here in Egypt unless you say so. That's like the big happy ending, right? Think about that for a minute. Do you think that environment was easy? Welcome aboard, former slave from a foreign land. We're going to promote you right out of prison into the second highest position in all of Egypt. You are now responsible for the welfare of the most powerful nation on the planet, and we're about to go through an economic collapse. So don't mess it up. Because the guy who's your boss has a history of putting people on stakes and leaving them there for the birds to pick at their bones. No pressure, right? I'm sure there wasn't any stress on Joseph then. Yet Joseph was blessed by God and he was able to thrive. Not just survive. Sister Nixon, not just get by, but he was able to thrive in the middle of all of that mess. It's because Joseph was right where God wanted him to be. He was the right man in the right environment for his designed purpose, and it probably didn't feel that way to him on a daily basis. I would imagine it most probably felt like A struggle. Folks, don't mistake discomfort for desertion. Just because you're uncomfortable with where you are right now in life does not mean that God has deserted you. And likewise, you don't need to mistake mess for a mistake. Just because there's your life is messy doesn't mean you've messed up somewhere along the way. God typically uses mess to make the miraculous. All of that difficulty and all of that discomfort and all that mess that Joseph was going through was really, it was a positioning. 
it, it was an environment of preparation so that God's purpose could be fulfilled through the vessel that he had chosen. And in all of that, <laughs> here we go, in all of that, Joseph was obedient. We've been hearing a little bit about that over the past couple of Sundays, yeah? And I mean, if y'all like me, you're like, okay, pastor, just go on and preach a different sermon. We're done with hearing about all the obedience stuff. So this next part's going to get a little messy, but bear with me. When Joseph was young and still living with his father, Jacob, Jacob gave him a coat of many colors, right? Okay, class. Why? He was his favorite. Jacob favored Joseph above all of his other brothers. Why? Yes, part of it was because Joseph was the son of Rachel and Rachel, this blows my mind to even say this, Rachel was the wife that he loved more. So yes, part of it was because of who Jacob was. His identity as the most favored son comes from who his mama was. But the other part of the equation was that even as a young man, Joseph served his father with diligence and obedience. Think about it. Joseph was where his father's heart was. Joseph was a shepherd boy back then. And back then, the great patriarchs, the measure of a man's wealth was his livestock. How many sheep and rams and goats and cows and whatever else they had, that's how you measured wealth. And Joseph was tending to what was important to his father. So Joseph gained his father's trust by serving diligently and obediently in areas that mattered to daddy. Okay, look at it this way. Joseph could have been, he could have been this miracle child, right, from Jacob's favorite wife and extremely favored, but what if he would have had a disobedient character? Well, that's simple, right? It's like Jason, duh. There's no way he could have won the heart of his father if he would have been a disobedient child. Disobedience will shut the doors that your looks, your talent, your family, your position, your education, and your ability open for you. Disobedience will close those doors. I'll go one step further. Disobedience will shut the doors that the miraculous opens for you. God didn't put up with that stuff from Saul. God didn't put up with disobedience from Hophni, Phinehas, and Eli. Disobedience will close the doors that the miraculous power of God will open. It wasn't for Joseph. It wasn't just anointing. It was his obedient character that allowed God to keep opening doors of opportunity for him. So even in the middle of those prepared environments that were unpleasant, Joseph experienced all of these wild opportunities because he was obedient. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? So let's get practical for a little while before we leave this topic. <laughs> 
Let me ask you a question about your prepared environment and wherever it is you find yourself tonight. Because everybody in here, you've got something different running through your noggin whenever I say prepared environment. And especially if I start talking about unpleasant people and unpleasant places, there's something different running through everybody's brain. So this is going to be different for everybody. But I want to ask you a question about your prepared environment and and wherever that is tonight. Is Jesus with you? Is Jesus in you? Can you be separated from your environment? I'm sorry, but short of death or the rapture, no. You cannot be separated from your environment. You are here. Until your time is done, you are here. You cannot be separated from your circumstances. You, you're, this is your environment. Everybody with me? So I got, yes, Jesus is with me. Yes, Jesus is in me. No, I cannot be separated from my, my environment. Well, then that means that Jesus can't be separated from your environment and circumstances either. Because he's with you and he's in you, so, right? So that means he's just as connected and just as invested in your environment as you are. I came across this today, and it fits here. I'm going to try to get that same point across to you in a different way, because some of y'all are like, "Uh, I don't know about that, Jason. So check this out. Psalms 139, verses 17 through 18. It says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Verse 18, David says, "I I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. David said, you have precious thoughts about me, God, and I can't even count them. They cannot be numbered. God, your your precious thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. So Jason wondered, well, how many precious thoughts would that be exactly? How many grains of sand are there, David? I mean, we're just talking about the grains of sand on the beach. We're talking about all the grains of sand in the desert. We're talking about all the grains of sand on the whole planet. So I asked Google, and Google's pretty good at that stuff, I found out. Here's what Google told me. Science writer uh, writer David Blattner in his new book, Spectrum, says... A group of researchers at the University of Hawaii, being well-versed in all things beachy, tried to calculate the number of the grains of sand on the earth. And they said, if you assume a grain of sand has an average size, and you calculate how many grains are in a teaspoon, and then multiply that number by all of the beaches and all the deserts in the whole world, the earth has roughly... And we're speaking very roughly here. 5.6 times 10 to the 21st power grains of sand. Or, to say it another way, 5,000 billion billion grains of sand. Or 5.6 sextillion, that's 5.6 with 22 zeros after it, 
grains of sand. That's a lot of grains. That's all I can say. Well, folks, I don't know if David was speaking metaphorically, but that's how many precious thoughts the Lord has about you while He is with you in the middle of the environment that He prepared for you. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, as Pastor Murphy is often known to say. That, that'll, change, that'll change old Coop's mind about how I think about my environments. To know that even as unpleasant as it may be, that he's with me there. He's just inv- as invested and connected to that environment as I am. And the whole time, he has all of these precious, precious thoughts about me. So with that in mind, it is now 8.07. For those of you that have been engaged in Facebook, Instagram, Candy Crush, and other stuff, now is the time to put that down. This is the new bit. I want to talk to just for a few minutes, just a few minutes, won't take long, but I want to talk to you about worry. Worry. Any of y'all going to be honest and profess to be a worrier? There's a few, man. Okay. All right. Sometimes our prepared environments cause us to worry. And that's that's just not God's plan at all. God doesn't want us to worry. God doesn't like for us to worry. And when I say God doesn't want us to worry, I mean he doesn't want us to in the same way that he doesn't want us to be afraid. In the same way that he doesn't want us to forget his word. He says it very plainly in scripture. Don't worry. Philippians 4 and 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. We need to think about where worry originates. Because really worry is like a twisted sort of faith. Worry is the belief that God's not going to get it right. Worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, that God's powerful enough, or that God's loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Well, Jason, that's just that's how I am. I worry. It's what I do. Okay? Change. Jason, I, I, I can't change. I was, I, I was born this way. I'm just, Jason, I'm just a born worrier. Well, no, you're not. I love you, but no. You were not born a worrier. That's a learned behavior, and you learned somewhere along the line, you learned how to worry. And since you learned how to worry, you can learn how not to worry. 
And if this is offending you, welcome to my world. Because I tend to worry. But we need to learn. We need to learn how not to worry. We all do. We need to let go of worry. Let me talk to you about four reasons to let go of worry. Four reasons to let go of worry. First of all, worry is unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for two reasons. First of all, worry just exaggerates the problem. You ever had noticed that somebody says something bad about you, and you find out about it, and the more you think about it, the worse it gets? It just exaggerates the problem. And the second reason worry is unreasonable is it doesn't work. To worry about something you can't change is useless. And on the flip side of that, to worry about something that you can change is, I'm sorry, Jason, but that's kind of stupid. I mean, if you can change it, then stop worrying about it and do it. So worry is unreasonable. Worry is also unnatural. There are no born worriers. Touched on this a little while ago. It's something that you learn. But here's the thing. Since worry is unnatural, it's also unhealthy. Your body was not designed to handle worry. How many of you lost sleep because you worried? How'd that work for you? Your body's not designed to handle worry. Your mind was not created by God to handle worry. When people say, I'm worried sick, it's true. They're telling the truth. Proverbs 14 and 30 in the New Living Translation says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Well, take the inverse of that. A worried heart leads to an unhealthy body. Number three, worry is unhelpful. So worry is unreasonable, it's unnatural, but worry is unhelpful. Worry cannot change the past. I have discovered this. It's puzzling to me, but it doesn't matter how long or how hard I worry. The past does not seem to change. And worrying will never change the outcome of anything. So it it doesn't change the past. It can't change the outcome in the future. So that means that all worry does for me is mess up today. The only thing that worry changes is you, and it makes you miserable. And it'll take up a lot of time and a lot of energy, but it's never solved a problem. Worry is unhelpful. And finally, worry is unnecessary. God made you. God. made you. God created you. Then God saved you. God put his spirit in you. So don't you think he's going to take care of your needs? With all of those 5.6 trillion precious thoughts about you, don't you think that God's going to make sure that he gets it right by you, Ben? We need to let go of worry, folks, because it's unreasonable, 
It's unnatural, it's unhelpful, and it's unnecessary. First Peter 5 and 7 in the Amplified Bible says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. God personally cares about you. He personally cares about your needs. And the God that thinks 500 billion, billion precious thoughts toward you, that God, He cares about you and is with you right where you are right now. So all of those things that you're stressing about, that you're anxious about, that you are worried about, let it go. Give it to God. Pray about it. Pray to Him about it. Stop stop misusing your imagination. That's what worry is. You are misusing the imaginative, creative ability that God placed inside of you to create a bunch of things that you don't even want. That's pretty good. I think I'm going to say that again. Whenever you worry, you are misusing the imaginative, creative ability that God put in your noggin to create a bunch of things that you don't want. That's crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all bonkers. We're bonkers. Instead of using that imagination to create things that you don't want, instead use it to create some things that you do want. I'm going to think about how it's going to look like whenever my family member gets saved. I'm going to think about what it's going to look like whenever they're in the altar speaking in other tongues. I'm going to think about what it looks like whenever they're coming up out of the baptistry and their hands are in the air and they're soaking wet because they've just been buried in Jesus' name. I'm going to think about what it looks like whenever my family finally gets back together. I'm going to think about what it looks like whenever my job finally improves, whenever I finally get the pay raise that I've been needing, whenever my finances are in order. I'm going to think about what it's going to feel like whenever my body isn't hurting anymore. I'm going to think about what it's going to feel like whenever my heart's not broken anymore. Whenever I don't feel the hurt of that betrayal. And Jason, that's, that's, just, that's all just a bunch of that positive mental attitude stuff. It doesn't work. Tell that to David. David chose to focus on the goodness of the Lord. On mercies that were new every day. On great faithfulness and on loving kindness. Psalm 121 in the New Living Translation. Sorry, Case, I don't think I gave you this one. This was a late edition. Y'all just have to listen to this one. Psalm 121 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go. Whatever your environment. 
wherever the steps of that path are taking you, the Lord watches over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Man, that's a load of hope right there. Because whatever the environment is now, and whatever the environment's going to be in the future, He is watching over me. Amen. I hope this has been okay tonight. Let's pray, and we will be dismissed. Lord, we tried to do a good job tonight, and we tried to present it again in a way that um, makes sense to people. So what I'm going to pray is that you would uh, take this word tonight and, and that there would just be something that wiggles down into the depths of their heart and a little seed, just a, a little seed of hope takes root and starts to bring forth life, life of hope, life of, uh, in the form of security, in the form of comfort, God, that I know whatever is going on around me, that I am your child and you love me. And so this environment is what you have prepared for me so that I can fulfill the design purpose that you planned even before I was knit together in my mother's womb. So God, let it, let it be anointing that speaks through me. Let it be diligence and obedience that speaks through me let there be comfort and peace that speaks through me. God, as I look at what's going on around me and who's around me, Lord, and I can take so much comfort in the fact that I know how many thoughts you have toward me. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You love the Lord tonight? Amen. So do I. I do. I love him, and he loves you. Y'all stand and just turn around and shake hands with somebody. Tell them how great they look and give them a good word from the Lord. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday morning.